I just love it when I run into people who have done legitimate research that validates all the stuff I tell my clients and my listeners. On the other hand, how unconventional can I be if someone teaching psychology at Harvard Medical School agrees with me? Hi there, I'm Tracy, and this is the Essential Stepmom Podcast, your source of unconventional advice and inspiration for the womanly art of raising someone else's kids. Is it really an art? You bet. Nobody pops out of the womb with an instinct for step-parenting. It's something you practice and get better at, like anything else. And if you found this podcast, it means you're smart enough to look for someone who's been practicing the moves for a long time to stand in your corner and coach you through it. I'll share my wins, my missteps, and my analysis of what worked for my family over the last 14 years and why it could work for you too. If you like this stuff, don't forget to subscribe. And you can get more of me at EssentialStepmom.com. I love the podcast called Unruffled by Janet Lansbury. She's an amazing parenting coach. She's just so calm and reassuring. I wish I'd had her around when my daughter was little. We could have saved so much energy and my self-esteem would not have taken such a bruising because I wouldn't have been beating myself up all the time about being a bad mother. Anyway, she recently did a different kind of episode. Instead of answering listener questions like she usually does, she interviewed Sarah David, a Harvard-based psychologist and the author of a book called Emotional Agility. I urge you to listen to this podcast. It was so full of wisdom for parents and for regular human beings too. You can search for the podcast Unruffled wherever you listen, but I'll also put the link in the show notes so you can find it there. Susan David speaks with a lovely South African accent, and some of my dearest friends have been from South Africa, so I'm very fond of the special sound of that way of speaking. I won't attempt to recreate it here, but I'm going to quote some of her most compelling ideas and then try to explain why those could be especially relevant to your experience as a step-parent. Here's what she says. We know that no matter what grades children have, and no matter what their outward skills are, ultimately what's going to be the litmus of whether they're well and happy and thriving human beings is determined much more by what goes on inside of them, their capacity to navigate difficult emotions, thoughts, and experiences so that they can bring the best of themselves forward. Now, when I heard her say that, I thought immediately about the difficult thoughts, emotions, and experiences of a typical stepchild. Most of them are treading water nonstop in a veritable sea of difficult emotions, thoughts, and experiences. Wherever they are at any given moment, they're missing one of their most important people. They're constantly at risk of betraying one or the other of their parents, by saying the wrong thing, by acting the wrong way, or even by having the wrong feelings. Think about it. Is your stepchild encouraged to let you know when they miss their mom, just for instance? Because that's actually what they're trying to say when they tell you that mom makes the best muffins, or when they draw a picture with I love mommy written on it. It sucks for you, right? But what about them? Maybe 
it could be an interesting way to diffuse that kind of situation by just saying, I bet you miss your mom right now. Is that why you made that nice picture for her? Maybe that's not a big issue at your house. Maybe your stepchild does, doesn't like having to change activities when they're not ready. And it's always a problem for them to have to go back home because they're almost done a game or a puzzle or a TV show, but it's time to go right now. Or maybe that's happening at the other end too, that they have to leave something when it's time for them to come to your house, so they always arrive in a bad mood. Whatever, I'm pretty sure there won't be any shortage of difficult feelings or situations to work on. Okay, here's her next nugget of wisdom. We want our children to be happy. And sometimes what happens is that idea of happiness becomes almost muddied with this other idea, which is if they show unhappiness, then it means they're not happy and that must be a bad thing. It's not about positivity and happiness. It's actually about developing capacity with a full range of emotional experience. So the children are able to navigate the world as it is, not as we wish it to be. Oh my gosh, that last phrase hit me like a brick in the forehead. To navigate the world as it is, not as we wish it to be. This is actually the foundation of the kind of meditation that I've been learning and that I still practice. I meditate to continually improve my ability to see things as they really are, not as I want them to be. And how easy is it for me to try to get my kids to see things the way I want them to be instead of as they are? I mean, really, your mom and dad are divorced, so that sucks, but he's moved on and now he's really happy. So you can be happy too, right? I know that I'm always about the high vibration and positivity, but I'm really glad for the reminder that it's not all about being happy. Difficult emotions aren't something we need to always shrink away from, although that's my first reflex for sure. By now, I hope you're ready to just stop listening to me and jump right over to the Unruffled podcast to hear more of Susan David. But if you just want more spoilers, here's another quote from her. And now, no longer are we just trying to make my child happy in the here and now. We actually recognize that there's very often wisdom in stepping back and in a thoughtful way, allowing your child to feel what they feel because there's learning that comes from that and that the child in turn is learning how to metabolize discomfort, learning how to metabolize fear and also learning really important aspects of emotional skills that are critical to all of us. So what does that look like in real time? Surely you're not just walking away when your child is unhappy and letting them twist in the wind. Of course not. She says, stepping back in a thoughtful way. She's talking about learning how to hold space for your child's discomfort or fear or anger. And I'm actually talking to the dads here, to the biological parent, whoever that is in your home, because this is work that you have to do. Your child needs you to do this for them in order to be able to grow from the experience of staying in their uncomfortable feelings. They need to see you not being afraid or walking away from these dark places. They see that you're able to accompany them in this experience and that's a very, very secure feeling. So what do you do about all the acting out 
that comes with negative emotions, especially anger. That's how we know those emotions are there, right? I mean, no child says, I'm feeling so frustrated and helpless. Can you help me? No, they throw things around or use words as little missiles of destruction. Just the same way that adults tend to do for the most part. So how do you let a child sit with their emotions when they're being mean or destructive? Susan has an answer for that too. She says, you can show up to your child's emotions. You can be validating and connecting and create space for them. But that's not the same as saying, oh, because you're angry, you just get to act with impunity. Like, I'm not going to endorse my son's idea that if he hates his little sister, he should actually give her away to a stranger at a shopping mall. And then Janet Lansbury adds some wisdom of her own, saying, right, you can say, it's okay to feel like getting rid of your sister, but I'm here to stop you from doing that. This is a great tool, by the way, this idea of saying that it's okay to have this feeling, but I'm in charge of keeping you safe and I won't let you hurt yourself or anyone else. You can let the mad come out and still be safe. With really little kids, we often have to interfere physically and hold their hands out of harm's way. Even older kids respond well to the idea that their feelings are valid, and at the same time, the adults are going to help them not to do something that they'll regret or feel guilty about. Because Kids really do feel guilty when they hurt someone else. Susan David goes on to say, We need to learn that emotions are transient. And a child isn't going to learn that emotions are transient if they aren't able to sit with their emotions and recognize that 10 minutes out, their emotion has passed. I think it's a good idea to use those few minutes to help kids put some words onto their big feelings. You can say, are you disappointed that you can't have that now? Or are you feeling scared that you won't get a turn to do that? Would you like to have some time all alone or would you like me to stay with you now? You know, I shared a story with my email community just the other day. And if you're not already on my list, feel free to just email me at info at essentialstepmom.com and I'll add you for my weekly messages. Anyway, the story I shared is one that I've shared before here. My eldest stepson was about 19 or 20 at the time, and he had lived with us for a number of months, some years before. Then he went back to live with his mother. And the dynamic there was that she consistently gave in to whatever he wanted to keep him from having emotional outbursts. So he had a lot of big emotions inside that weren't getting regular expression, especially because his mom had the feeling that it was a bad thing to let those things come out or it was scary for her to see them coming out. Anyway, on this particular day, he'd seen a jacket in a store that he absolutely had to have and he wanted his dad to lend him the money so that he could buy it right away. Dad said he'd do better than that. He would actually buy it for him for Christmas, which was exactly two weeks away. Sounds like a good deal, right? But this boy has a lot of trouble with delayed gratification and he just couldn't take it. He was cursing and screaming and pacing around outside. 
I went out to the backyard to be with him and I just sat on the back steps as he had what looked pretty much like a toddler meltdown, except that's a scary thing when the toddler is six foot two and 220 pounds. It occurred to me that something so strong must be happening. It had to be about something very fundamental, like a, a really strong fear. I couldn't understand what it might be, but I just leaned into my intuition and took a guess. And I said, you're going to get this jacket. You know that. You just have to wait a bit and nothing bad is going to happen from waiting. It gives you a bad feeling, but it's just a feeling. It can't hurt you. You'll see nothing bad is going to happen to you. I promise. And he calmed down almost instantly and looked me straight in the eye and said, nobody ever told me that before. I was astonished, not so much that he hadn't ever heard that, but that he said it. It was like he was saying, phew, I thought I would actually explode from this feeling. That's not going to happen. That was such an eye opener for me. I've repeated this story many times. I had stumbled onto something that turned out to be really important for him and for our relationship with each other. I think that probably everyone could use for someone to sit on the porch steps with them and remind them that this terrible feeling will pass, whatever it is. I think you can probably imagine that it wouldn't have done any good at all to tell him that he was acting like a child or being ungrateful. When someone's in that highly charged emotional space, it's like, well, Brene Brown describes it so perfectly. She says, the emotional part of your brain is driving with the pedal to the floor. And the reason and logic parts of your brain are not riding shotgun. They're tied up in the back of the truck. They have no power at all to either steer or stop the vehicle. That's why you can't ever appeal logically to someone who's in the middle of an emotional crisis. They're not even able to get blood flow to their prefrontal cortex, let alone to use it for problem solving. There are other things you can do than trying to appeal with reason and logic such as describing the feeling with better words or using essential oils. We talked about those last week in the episode about transition behaviors. You know, those smell molecules go straight for the limbic system of the brain and they can dissolve the stranglehold of emotions in a matter of seconds. Another thing you can try is the ESR technique, emotional stress release. That's the one where you lightly hold your forehead and meanwhile play a movie inside your mind of the stressful situation. I described how to do that in season three, episode three of this podcast. So you can go back and listen to that if you want the full instructions. What I love so much about Susan David's work and her interview with Janet Lansbury in particular is that listening to that really added a deeper layer of understanding for me about how and even when and why to use these techniques that I just mentioned. It's not just to make negative feelings go away. It's to give us the much needed experience of how fleeting those things are, how something that seems to be totally controlling us and our whole experience of life can just dissolve. And we can be in control of how that happens. And then we can develop the courage to sit with those negative feelings and explore them, 
knowing that when we notice them and name them or do something to address them, they dissolve as if they'd never been there. Please do yourself a favor and have a listen to the podcast Unruffled by Janet Lansbury and the episode called Raising Emotional Intelligence and Resilience for a Meaningful Life with Susan David. You can find Unruffled anywhere you listen to podcasts or by visiting JanetLansbury.com. Hey, maybe we'll even get one of these amazing teachers on this podcast one day. Oh my God, I'm putting that on my bucket list. That's all for this episode. If you're enjoying this, remember to subscribe wherever you're listening. Did you know that we're being heard in 48 countries now? There are other curious, forward-thinking stepmoms like you in every corner of the world. And you can help them find us and join our community by leaving a rating or a review. That's how this podcast will pop up when they search stepmom advice. Someone did that for you, you know, so pay it forward. I also have a little Facebook tribe, which I guard against bashing like a pit bull with lipstick. It's a friendly, 100% positive place. And if that's what you've been looking for, we'd be glad to have you there. Just send a join request to The Spectacular Stepmom. Personal one-on-one support is available by visiting my website, EssentialStepmom.com. Thank you.